Hello, everyone. This is John with Catholic for Rednecks. Thank you for dropping by this podcast, which I have been trying to do for for days. Just haven't been able to bring myself to do it. Um, If you follow my life, Catholic for Rednecks, this is John. You know, we're on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and my wife has a new podcast called Spaghetti Lover. And I'll put a link in this later. But um, our oldest son, Lee, passed away the month of May. He had had brain cancer for, I think, 15 years. Um, don't judge me for not knowing the exact amount of time it was because even the best doctors on this planet could not keep up with all the surgeries he had on his spine, his brain, his back. I've never seen anyone like him in my life. Just a human tank. Have you ever seen those World War II movies? Those big German Tiger tanks, Panzer, I guess the American tanks were uh, Tiger. You had the Panzer tanks, just these big, scary tanks. And they rumble through the rubble, and you keep hitting them and hitting them, and they keep coming. That's the way my son Lee was. He was just like a big old army tank plowing through some bombed out city blasting away just wanting no stopping no stopping them and uh you know it's not the first time that I've suffered losing a child before my oldest daughter well I say my oldest daughter my only daughter Jennifer passed away when she was 14 back in 2000 so I've had a child passed away that was pretty young. My daughter, Jennifer, died suddenly when she was 14. Just suddenly dropped dead. Hate to be blunt, but that's just what she did. She dropped dead. And then just opposite, a few years later, my daughter died in June of 2000. And then, uh, in, I think it was June or July of 2009, my oldest son Lee, the week he graduated from the University of Alabama master's program. He, uh, he had already graduated from Alabama and then he, you know, got his master's. So he's graduating uh, 2019 graduated on a Tuesday, and I believe on that Friday, he found out that he, too, had a brain tumor like his sister did when she was 14. Now, she just, you know, hopped, skipping along and had a big seizure one day, and they said, "Uh, your daughter's gone. It was a sudden death, 14. Then with Lee, a very, very long, 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 slow death in that um, we found out he had this type of cancer in June or July of 2009. Think about that. He had just graduated from college and he had a 12-hour surgery. They removed that tumor and analyzed it and all and all came back with a prognosis and, and all of that. And, you know, the way I was thinking you know, I'd had a daughter drop, just drop dead of a tumor we didn't know she had. So it's just sudden grief. It's unexpected. Of course, probably all parents fear and worry about their kids to some degree. I always did. It don't do any good. Trust me. You could walk the floors praying, pleading the blood of Jesus. Um, quoting scriptures, praying in tongues, praying novenas, praying rosaries. Uh, things happen in life, you know. Um, 
everybody worries about things happening because things do happen. And I'm trying to get to my little sermon here. But, you know, when my daughter, when my daughter died, I was still young, fairly young. I was, I think that I was 30, 38, I think. I might have been younger when my daughter died. I'm horrible at math. But, you know, when she died, I still had a son that was 15, and I had a second son that was five. So, you know, my only daughter passes suddenly. But I'm young, and all. Uh, you know, I got a lot going on, and you know, got you know, you're living life, and you don't expect to lose a kid. Then you lose a kid, and that's you know, it's a horrible, horrible thing to lose a child. It just, it just, I can't. The only thing that I can think of that would be as bad as losing a child would be to have to watch maybe your spouse or a child get raped and and tortured public i mean that's i just i see these parents of uh, murder victims that you know their child was abducted raped murdered by some uh evil person and i just that's the only thing that i can see that could compare to what it feels like to lose a kid if you all uh, have lost a kid before, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And and what's neat in talking to other people that have lost kids is that you have a freedom to say exactly how the hell you feel, <laughs> whereas you may not can have that same freedom at church in a small group. Um, with your friends and family, with your pastor, you know, um, and I'm I'm not even considering what religion, what what sex you are, what how old you are. You could be Presbyterian, you could be white, you could be Asian, you could be uh, Buddhist, you could be anybody. You could be rich and famous, some big iconic celebrity. You could be the brand new janitor at the plant with one hour experience on probation, sweeping floors, it don't matter. Uh, when you get hit with grief, it it uh, just, it, it does things to you. And uh, people will judge you, how you handle your grief, how you grieve. I know that all. Uh, I haven't watched it, but I know there's a big two on Netflix and true crime in general. About I think it's Casey Anthony uh, when her little girl was missing, or when they found her that she was partying and stuff. And you know, I can tell you right now, um, it ain't normal to lose a child and want to go party. Okay, <laughs> not do cast judgment on anyone but um that isn't that is a red flag for your kid to die or disappear and you getting on that party dress and putting on that makeup and getting that hair done and showing that leg and those boobs and you're gonna go to the club and have some margaritas and dance with the fellows while you're mourning the loss of your daughter. Um, I say F that. I ain't buying it. I'm not politically correct at all and don't give a damn who deletes the podcast or, or, or what, but I just, I, I don't buy it. But different people grieve different ways. Um, I'm the type that, uh, well, let me back up. So my oldest son, Lee, you know, he finds out he's got a tumor. And we knew from the onset that it was terminal, okay? But because of the type of tumor he had, it's like it could 
grow. It could take a long, long time to return, to grow back. So you got this thing of where you're going to get scans every three months. Now you think about this, whatever you were doing in June of 2009, whatever you were doing, I can tell you what I was doing. Every 90 days since June of 2009, I've been going with my son to get brain scans, MRIs, and other scans of his neck and spine every 90 days. Go to the hospital at UAB or in California, and he goes and gets an MRI tube. It takes like an hour and a half. Is it nerve-wracking? Hell yes. Did I have the peace and comfort and joy of God? Hell no. I was scared. Okay. So anyhow, let me get a sip of this coffee and bourbon. Just kidding on the bourbon part. I quit drinking a long time ago. Getting to be a long time ago. So when my uh, oldest son died of the um, brain tumor, he had had, I think, seven brain tumors and I think two on his spine. It was some kind of uh, thing they'd never really heard of or seen. So he made the record books at least twice. And I know that he was the longest survivor at UAB under that doctor of that type of uh, cancer. So um, but for for years and years, from 2009 to 2023, however long that is, uh, I can't, my mind's in a fog right now. Every 90 days, you get a scan. And you can go years and get good news every 90 days and celebrate, and God is good. And what do people say on Facebook? God is good all the time. You know, they don't really post that when it's the other way around. You don't hear about, you know, horrible tragedy and then in the same breath, God is good all the time. Ain't God good? Or sounds like God. Sounds like God to me. You know, if if you say that after a plane crash, why ain't God wonderful? <laughs> you know, people look at you, but that's, you know, that's the kind of thoughts that I have, you know, I, um, I've been dealing with tragedy and death and bad luck and circumstances since the day I was born. I never had it good, but a couple of times. I, be, I have been through a couple of seasons in my life where I had it really, really good. But uh, this ain't one of them, so... When my daughter died, it was shock. But I was young, and I still had two kids, and I had a lot of pressure on me because when my daughter died, I was a member of a type of church that believed that it was 100% God's will for you to be happy healthy, wealthy, and wise, and to have stomach abs, a tan, white, shiny teeth, and be able to speak proper English and to drive a nice car, and all your kids have good uh, teeth and all, have no character issues, no autism, nothing. See, I was in the health and wealth the prosperity gospel, as they call it, uh, teaching it, believing it with all my heart. I worked for several of the famous old-time faith healers, Oral Roberts. You can Google him uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Kenneth E. Hagen, different ones I've been around and worked for uh, backstage and all, all that stuff. So... When my daughter died, it was a great shock to... Now, this is crazy, okay? But when my, when my daughter died, suddenly, 
there wasn't a whole lot of time to awe. It's kind of like being in combat. Well, that's a bad example. You expect to get shot in combat. But if you're just going through life and then one day your kid dies, I mean, you know, your kid is dead. They die, whatever, car wreck. Uh, These days shot at a school or whatever. I mean, your kid dies and this feeling hits you, which is indescribable pain it's a um it's physical pain it just hurts I just can't you ever been punched in the stomach really hard gut punch where it just knocks the breath out of you and you can't breathe and you can't think and you just black out um it's like that except it keeps on going for a while, and there's no set time. You know, you can't, the way the way people are, let me tell you how people are. If you're listening to this, you know it's true that most people, when there's a death, you find out that there is a death, and all, maybe it was a, you know, a younger person, or those are the worst. The kids are the worst. Babies, kids, teenagers, absolute worst. You know, you got categories. Um, you know, a car wreck, horrible teenagers and wrecks, horrible drownings, horrible just shootings, crimes, just horrible, shocking, and all that. And, and then, or it's a regular, normal, thing, you know, maybe the uh, person is um, older in life and has had a chance to, you know, enjoy life and they have a heart attack, die in a car wreck, whatever. You know, you hear the news and typically growing up in the South and Baptist, it was like you die on day one, on day three, you have the funeral. (laughs) No matter what. And that's just the way it was because I grew up Baptist in Alabama and I guess it was, you know, Easter. Jesus died on Good Friday and Easter morning, and he was resurrected. So I think that's the way we did it or tried to do it, like the Baptist Pentecostal. You got to remember here where I live in Alabama, um, all my life it was predominantly Southern Baptist. Um, we'll call it Pentecostal. That's a lot of different churches. And, you know, Church of Christ Pentecostal, um, Baptist, and, and the high church, not so much. You know, Catholic, uh, Episcopalian, Lutheran, not so much here. So we all kind of look at things. The, when you're 90-something percent Southern Baptist Pentecostal, um, you look at grief and dying differently than other religions and cultures do. So here, just to be blunt, once the funeral's over, it's back to business for most people. Let's just be blunt. You know, you hear about someone's uh, kid dying. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. And you go to the funeral, and you know, you go to the you order flowers, and you you don't know what the hell to say. Uh, sometimes the best thing you can say is not a damn word. Okay, just go up to the person at the funeral home or whatever and hug them. If you're on hugging terms, you know what I'm saying. I mean, just don't walk up to somebody you've been having bad blood with and start hugging on them at a funeral. You you might get beat up. But, uh, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is just be there. That, that is the best thing because you ain't got no answers. You may think you got the answers. You ain't got no answers. Everybody thinks they got the answers to why someone's kid died or their husband died or, you know, they become theologians and doctors and lawyers. All of a sudden, they're these people of great, great wisdom. And, you know, they they know everything. Listen, they don't know shit, okay? I said it. When it comes to grief and dying, they don't know shit. So... 
Anyhow, don't know why I went off on that, but I took a class by a minister named Tony Cook. You can look him up, T-O-N-Y-C-O-O-K-E, Tony Cook. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine today. He is a uh, minister. He is a minister. You can Google him. And um, I took a class by him on death, dying, tragedy, and funerals. Yep, I think that was the name of the class. Or maybe it was just called grief. Grief. And when you talk about grief, you're talking about a lot of stuff. Um, You get dumped by your high school sweetheart. Um, You're in high school, that is, and you get dumped. That is grief. You wreck your car. That is grief. Your car gets repossessed. That is grief. You lose your boobs. You're a female, and they remove your boobs, you know, breast cancer. That is a grief. Um, You can feel grief in all kinds of ways. It affects your body physically. I mean, a physical pain that will bend you over. I don't care how strong you are. You can be Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, you can be the strongest, meanest, baddest, toughest person ever to live, and grief will kick your ass hard. I don't care who you are. Grief will hurt you. I was reading. If you all want to um, read something very interesting, you can Google Abraham Lincoln, and sometimes I've said some things about Abraham Lincoln that are not good. I blame all that on a friend of mine that's a professor at a prestigious university in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, she has taught some classes on Abraham Lincoln, so we don't, we won't go in that political direction right now. But, you know, he did bury, I think, three kids. I'm not sure. But I know one of them died in the in the White House, and I know that Abraham Lincoln was probably had more on his plate than any president that we've ever had, and had less help. <laughs> Thank God he didn't have social media and lying ass CNN and Fox and all them, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Oh my, or you know, all these news agencies it'd be a mess but um i was reading about when his son died i think his son um was uh named little william or something i really should uh research and take notes before i make podcasts instead of just shooting from the hip but his son died and i've never been inside the white house I've been I've been to it a couple of times, but he was in a certain room, and you know they're writing. You know they have historians that are watching everything that goes on during important times of our nation's history. You know, Guantanamo Bay, the missile crisis, nine eleven, uh, JFK assassination, whatever. You know, there's you know things going on. It's being recorded. It's been written and documented. And, uh, when they told President Lincoln, who's a very tall man, that his son had passed away, um, they said that he was sitting there at the table in the library or drawing room and just buried his head in his hands. And he just sobbed. And... Uh, the people that were documenting it said that it was, you know, quite the sight to see this leader of the free world, you know, the president of the United States, supposed to be the 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 strongest man in the room, the uh, smartest, the one that's got his stuff together. And uh, they said that he was sitting there sobbing with his shoulders shaking, just even, and he thinks he didn't have any privacy. Can you imagine? You know, the president today, whoever the president would be, 
you know, finding out that his little boy had just died um, and and having everybody watch the president react to it, just, you know, he was just sobbing and crying and, and everything. And that's the president, you know, so um, it don't matter how, how big and bad you are. You can be a rock star, a, a heavyweight fighter, a just... It don't matter when someone you love and care about passes away. It hurts. And, of course, it you know, if it's grandma and she's 108 years old and lost her mind 15 years ago, that's one thing. Then, you know, a, a kid, I, I realize that. But it's still, I mean, even, you know, I, I, I think about grandparents, now, you know, I am a grandparent now, but until I was a grandparent, I didn't see what the fuss was all about being a grandparent and why they wanted to show you the pictures of the grandkids and, all, you know, all that stuff. I didn't understand it until I became a grandparent. But I look at these grandparents and, you know, uh, someone passes away and I, I look at the grandparent has double grief because they're grieving the passing of their grandchild and they're grieving for their child. And I think back when my daughter died, you know, um, my mother-in-law, Pam, she grieved just as hard as as I was. I mean, I, I can't remember the, the, the first few days or weeks after my daughter just died 14. I just remember laying in a fetal position and just sobbing. I mean, you just, you can't turn it off. <laughs> there ain't nothing you can do but sob and cry. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't turn it off. And even if they hand you all kinds of Xanax and Ativan and whatever they got now, gummies, whatever, and I don't fault anyone at all for taking anything to make themselves feel better. You will not be condemned by me. But, um, you know, even if you take a bunch of stuff, you're still going to hurt. <laughs> I mean, it, it hurts. And um, you have these people that want to be, they want to come over with the answers or, or with the I told you so's. I've had... When my daughter died, I, I tell you, the, um, I hate to, you know, I'm Catholic, and I realize that most non-Catholics in this world have a completely different thinking, feeling, and viewpoint of the Catholic Church than what I feel about the Catholic Church is, okay? Okay, so I hate to paint broad, broad pictures of of all how people deal with this stuff. But um, when you're doubled over in pain and uh, you've just lost your child, um, then you got people that come to your house and they want to give you a effing sermon about why your child passed, um, I guess they feel responsible for your faith. They don't want you to be mad at God. That's probably what it is. Because I remember uh, a couple of situations in my church when I was in my 30s, and we would have a death, a tragedy, a sickness, something bad happened in our church family. And I remember I told you I was a name it, claim it. You know, Mark eleven twenty four, what thing, what things forever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, you shall have them. You know, Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. Mark eleven twenty three, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, you know, I was all about faith and prosperity, and praying the right way and getting my prayers answered, and you know. That group, that denomination, they call it the um, non-denomination 
now. <laughs> you know, we've run out of names, okay? We've got the Baptist, the Episcopalian, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Church of Christ. We got all these denominations, and we can't think of any other names to name the newest denominations, so we'll call it the non-denomination because we're not a denomination, but we are. We're the non-non-denominational church. So you're just reinventing the wheel and calling it something else. Let's build a wheel and call it by another word, but it's still a wheel. So that group that believes you got these people like, and I'm judging them based on what I've heard them say personally or read or known them or been backstage with them. You got this group of preachers that preach that, you know, you have the ability to control everything in your life with your tongue, with the power of your words, with your faith. And there are scriptures scattered, slung over. I like saying that. There are scriptures slung all over the Bible that support that. You know, you can make the Bible say anything you want. If you don't believe me, I want you to go drive from wherever you live and drive about 30 miles in any direction where there's people and count how many churches and different kinds of churches there are. Okay, there is all kinds of ways to read the Bible and to say, well, that's what it means. Okay, uh, the thing about, you know, the Catholic Church has a pope that's in charge. <laughs> but guess what? Most every church has someone in charge. It's called the pastor, especially like in the Pentecostal church. I mean, it's the pastor. But in that group, they believe that if you speak only words of faith and love and power, and if you tithe and give offerings, and if you don't, I mean, there's a list of things you got to do. You talk about a works-based religion, the word of faith, the prosperity gospel, name it, claim it, uh, the good life, whatever you want to call it. There's a list of things that you do actively on purpose and a list of things that you never do actively on purpose. So you're doing a hell of a lot of work. You are doing, uh, they say it's not works. This is not a works-based salvation. Ain't a bigger lie ever been told that you will work your ass off hard trying to uh, get all your ducks in a row in the word of faith. Um, there's a lot to do. So if you have a preacher preaching word of faith and something happens to him, to his wife or kids, the first thing that happens in that culture is the person in charge is going to call all the other health and wealth, name it, claim it, prosperity preachers, and let them know that brother so-and-so died of a heart attack. So we got to spend this because the belief is that God has promised every one of us endless years of health and wealth. That's what these people, Joel Osteen and uh, used to be uh, Benny Hinn and Joyce Myers, uh, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, maybe they've changed, I don't know. That's what I believed. I believed Psalms 91 literally, or I thought I did. So you got all these people coming over your house, all these health and wealth preachers, and you know they want to know why your daughter died and you believe the way you do and just all this stuff. So, but... I was in such a shock when my daughter died, and I was so busy. Um, you know, work. I was so busy working all the time, and my wife was busy, and it was really, really, really messing her up bad. Her faith with God was very affected, and I was mad at her for being mad at God. My wife, sweet Connie, 
was mad at God. And I was scared that she was mad at God because I didn't want no more bad stuff to happen. So obviously in my thinking, there's a glitch in my faith because no, I was not having an affair. I was not doing anything wrong that I can think of outside of the scope of just being a, you know, a, a sinner human being, you know, a normal human sin. I wasn't, you know, bilking the church for millions of dollars, sleeping with the piano player, none of that stuff. My daughter dropped dead, and that's what happened. It wasn't necessarily a spiritual thing or a result of a specific sin, um, whether it's genetic or um, whatever. The things that cause it, um, environmental, uh, industrial, whatever, congenience, she died, okay? And when you have preachers, Baptist, Pentecostal, Church of Christ, name it, claim it, come up in your house and wanting to preach to you about this stuff. You just, I just want to tell them to shut the F up, okay? And a lot of times when people, you know, they mean this well, and this is going to hurt someone's feelings because it hurts mine just to say it, but all these people that say, you know, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're sending thoughts and prayers. You almost want to say, well, please quit because I ain't working and I'm feeling worse every day because that's the way you feel when you're going through um, a child death, whether it's a sudden death or an expected one. They both hit you. It don't matter that you've been anticipating this loved one that's had cancer for two years, five years, 10 It don't matter. It's called anticipatory grief. It, it's, it's, they said that the Blessed Virgin suffered from it, uh, or, or, or Lady Virgin Mary. Um, you know, she, we know the Hail Mary when, when Jesus was uh, made flesh in her tummy, in her womb. No matter what an angel said to her, no matter what God said to her, no matter what anyone said to her, she's still a mama, a mother. And I know that the when a baby starts fluttering and kicking and moving around, I know that it's an overwhelming experience of joy for that mother. So she was a mother, and even though she knew ahead of time that her son would suffer, and be mistreated and torn from her and murdered and killed and he would raise from the dead. It's still her kid. I mean, she raised Jesus for 30 whole years with not much anybody's help. I don't know what happened to St. Joseph if he, you know, I don't know, passed away or whatever. But, you know, she dealt with a slow death because she knew. She knew for 33 years that her only first, her firstborn son, we ain't going to get into, did Mary have other kids? Because she didn't, and I can prove that, but this is not the, the place. But she knew this perfect kid. You know, everybody's kids are perfect, and your grandkids are really perfect. But she knew this perfect son that brought her so much joy, and it had to have been an indescribable spiritual joy on every level. Can you imagine Mary going to the synagogue, going to the temple, and hearing all these great things they are talking about the baby inside of her, uh, the, the rabbi, they're, they're talking about the great I am, Jehovah, and she's thinking that great I am is living inside my, t my belly. I almost said tomb, and that's exactly what... It becomes, it became a tomb. The, ba the baby was born to die. And she knew the baby was born to die. His purpose was to die. And she raised him and she watched him become, you know, this rock, rock star savior of the world and die. And not only did she see him die, she watched him suffer a horrendous, 
horrendous death. Um, it just it wasn't a quick death. Jesus greatly, greatly physically suffered. I know what it's like to watch kids suffer. I know exactly what it feels like to see your little girl on a ventilator. I know what it's like to see your little boy on a ventilator. I know what it's like to have every single kid in ICU at the same time or dead or whatever. Um, I remember one time Lee was having a sur- <laughs> he was having a surgery on his spine out in California, and we could only afford to send Connie. And those of our friends that helped us send Connie to San Francisco for that surgery, to this day, I love you. And I kiss your cheeks and slobber all over you and hug you and thank you. You know who you are. But, you know, there's Lee going in to have spinal surgery all day long, spinal surgery. And all phone rings and find out that Lila, my granddaughter, she has tripped and hit her uh, tooth, gum, whatever. She's a toddler on the coffee table, busted her mouth open. This is during COVID, I think. And they're taking her to the hospital, the children's hospital, to give her a CAT scan and stop the bleeding. So I got a son having spinal surgery in California. I got a toddler granddaughter with some type of mouth head injury. I can't even go because it's COVID. I can't go to California because my son's in surgery. I can't go to Children's Hospital 15 minutes down the road because of COVID. So I'm sitting there in uh, St. Teresa Catholic Church in Leeds with a book of prayers. And I just, what do you do? You know, what what do you do? And I just kind of gave up, you know, and... I remember I had intended on praying Lee through that surgery because that surgery was going to be like a 12 to 18-hour surgery because I had to take his spine apart, take this stuff off his spinal cord, and then they had to rebuild everything and just, just hours and hours and hours of surgery, touch and go, scary. And then, you know, got my granddaughter... Uh, just busted her face on the coffee table thing and, you know, just freaking stress out. It's like, God, do you just, do you just hate me? Just kill me already. Kill me already. And so I'm sitting there at, you know, St. Teresa praying. The intention was to pray for hours with my rosary and all that, you know, hunkering down. That's what you do. I've been, look, I've been, through so many 12-hour life and death surgeries with my oldest son, with my kids, I can't keep up with them. And I know what it's like to do it sober, and I know what it's like to do it drunk. And um, it's a lot easier to go get a big bottle of uh, liquor like uh, Jim Beam or Johnny Walker. Not Johnny Walker, that stuff's nasty, but... um. Uh, Jack Daniels, you know, some bourbon or rum or something. What I would do back then, this is back in the day, or vodka. I'd get, go buy a big ass, the, a big bottle of vodka, not the gigantic one like a milk jug, but, you know, a big one. And uh, if, you know, if Lee was having surgery and I couldn't be there, it was drinking time. I drank myself. <laughs> I would drink nothing but. Look, I would get, grab, I'm just full disclosure, I would grab my rosary and I'd turn everything off and I would drink whiskey and pray all day long from whatever time it began, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. till it was over, 5 in the afternoon, 10 o'clock at night. I'd drink and pray and drink whiskey. And I am the type that mixes. I don't drink anymore, but if you go out with old John, 
don't be getting me no rum and cokes and that stuff because I I just straight up just give me the give me the bottle. Um, anybody's been out drinking with me, I don't I don't do the rum and I don't drink at all anymore. But I don't even know why I got off. But I drink and pray, and then I know what it's like uh, to be sobered and clean and everything, and go through the same surgeries, you know, with your kid. Uh, touch and go, life and death. Will they walk? Will they be able to talk? Will they live? Will it help? Will they get it? You got all these emotions and thoughts and fears, just, you know, like a meteor shower just crisscrossing through your mind. And I've done that sober as a stone. I've done it by myself. I've done it with family. I've been in waiting rooms with, I want to say, 20 and 30 people in there. I have all of Lee's friends and Brian's friends and church friends and just people everywhere and everybody handing you a little pill to take. And I thank you so much for those little pills, whatever they were. Thank you because I'll take all the help I can get. If you want to judge me right now, you could just pull over in a safe place and instead of judging me, you can sit there and pray an entire rosary for me, okay? And when I say the whole rosary, I don't mean today's mysteries. Like today is Thursday, and it's the Lord, the luminous, I think, the luminous mysteries. I don't mean that. I want you to pray every one of them, the whole thing. Yep, for me, John Edwards. If I've made you mad by what I've said, then I want you to pray an entire rosary, all mysteries for me. And for me, just me. For for me. Okay. Then when you get through praying all them rosaries for me, then you can all uh, resume praying for yourself. Okay. So uh don't know why I went off on that. So but I'm just rambling about grief, so um, grief is um, it's physical, is a physical thing, and like right now, this is uh, June the first, and you know it wouldn't be so bad if you just had a kid and die, and that's all you had going on. But when you got all kinds of other shit happening, I mean, other shit. Someone asked me, what's going on? And I just said, more shit. You know, it's more shit. When Richard Pryor found out that he had, um, I think it was muscular dystrophy, I get those diseases mixed up, God forgive me. But uh, they, he said, it's just more shit. I got, they said, what did they do? He said, I just got diagnosed with mo, mo, yeah, mo shit. So, most shit. It's like, when my daughter died, it was June 16th or 17th, and it gets hot as hell in Alabama this time of year. I mean hot as hell. And humidity, whoo. And my daughter dies, and, you know, I had been a, a police officer. My wife had been a nurse, and we'd been part of a, a growing church, and we, you know, Connie's family's really big. Her, her Italian family, literally hundreds of people are coming over to our house to tell us, you know, that it's going to be okay and that they're praying for us. <laughs> We're praying for you. We're praying for you. And you just want to say, it ain't working. I know that sounds bad. But that's just, you know... That's what comes out of my mind when someone, you know, some people say, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm really praying for you, brother. I'd say, well, will you please quit? Because it ain't effing working. <laughs> so you say stuff like that to people and they get so mad and upset. But I'll say them. You know, I'll be the first one to tell you that when Jesus was up on that cross buck naked and they say that crucifixions were carried out, for maximum shamage 
inflicting pain, but Jesus up there, buck naked, buck naked, you know, uh, you know, guys don't like to be seen with shrinkage, uh, you know, even a priest, you know, uh, I was talking to a priest and he, you know, he's going to get his checkup and, you know, he told the doctor, hey, uh, it must be cold in here because my yin-yang is trying to get warm. So you got a priest talking about shrinkage, okay, to give you a picture that men don't like to have shrinkage, okay? And that shrinkage can happen at the most inopportune times for a guy, for male egos, okay? Uh, you know, like you, you know, it's like the other day, you think you have a doctor's appointment with a 75-year-old Indian man, an Asian Indian man, and you know how they knock on the door? You can hear them outside reading your paperwork, shuffling through your chart. Don't you hate that? Then they knock, boop, boop, and they come in. And instead of this older Asian Indian man, in comes a six-foot-tall, blonde, blue-eyed doctor, my new doctor. And she ain't, she looks like she's 19. And you're like, oh, my gosh. So I don't know why I got off on that. Oh, man. So I was going to go somewhere with that. But anyhow, when you're going through grief and 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 pain and stuff, I get I get mad at God and I've been trying to figure out why do I get mad at God. And the best thing I can come up with is number one, I was born and raised Southern Baptist that that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. That's what I heard. Growing up, Southern Baptist in Birmingham, Alabama, all through the 70s and the 80s, I heard over and over, God, hey, John, God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. And I believe that there was a little track or booklet that was popular in high school and college, you know. People would invite you to these church meetings and fellowships, things called Young Life and, I don't know, meet you at the pole, whatever. But they would, they, I remember them handing you this thing that said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. So the premise is, hey, you got this big, big, gigantic, almighty, benevolent, nice fellow named God and he's like a grandpa, and you know what? He just loves He loves you. I mean, God just loves you, and he's got it all planned out, this wonderful, beautiful life, just storybook. I mean, it's like Kate Middleton. It's like You've been brought into the royal family. You're the new prince, the princess. You're God's boy. He loves you, and he is going to shower you beyond your wildest dreams. I remember, you know, growing up in church and hearing the minister or the youth pastor saying, God, if you knew what God had planned for you, you, you would be so excited. You would just... Not be a, you would collapse. Well, yeah, he don't know if I had known back then when I was 13, 14, the stuff that was going to happen in my life, I would have checked out. Then I would have said, Oh, hell no, not that. I'm, I don't want to sign up for that. So when you grow up thinking that God loves you and then bad things happen. It's very difficult to reconcile how can God love me and take my kid? How can God love me and take my wife? Why did my wife die? Why did she die with breast cancer and four kids? Why was the the wife and kids taken all together in a car wreck? Why did these 
you know, you got all this stuff and you're, you're hearing all this stuff. God is good all the time. You hear it, ain't God good. Wave your Bible up and shake it at the devil. Ain't God good, you know? And to me, it's like a, um, a blasphemy and a mockery. For me, I'm sitting there in my mind, and everybody's all happy and, you know, ain't God good and, you know, got the victory and everything's going good. You got five kids playing baseball. You ain't been as sick a day in your life. You ain't been broke a day in your life. You ain't had a broke down car a day in your life. You ain't, and you know, you just living this life. And, and you just hear these people, you know, they proclaim uh, that I'm blessed. You know, I'm blessed. You know, you drive up in a brand new pickup truck and they cost a lot of money these days. I was looking a lot of money to buy a new house and you say, I sure am blessed. Uh, you drive up in a new vehicle at church. I sure am blessed. Brother, God has blessed me. Because you don't see no family pull up wearing all black, wearing, uh, got their morning garments on, their their veils and their, they used to wear armbands back in the years. And, you know, you got the whole family that have been crying for, for days. Everybody's on Xanax and Ativan and, and uh, you know, the the dad, you know, uh, he looks like, you know, a bomb's going off. He don't know where he's at. He's, his head's straight up his ass. He don't know. I'm going to tell you right now, dad does not know where he's at, okay? Then you got mom. She's the same way. Her baby's gone. Her child's gone. Uh, she's going through a completely different thought process, and she's internalizing and what the mom is going through is completely different from what the dad is going through. So they're going through two different things, that, that grieving dad and that grieving mom are in two different worlds actually by themselves, okay, by themselves. Because a lot of times the way the wife, what she's feeling ain't what the guy's feeling. And the guy's got a whole different set of feelings that the wife ain't feeling. So they're experiencing this grief and guilt, the things that come with grief, guilt. This, um, you know, I, I say guilt because like a dad thinks, especially dads that are either really, you know, type A, they're, you know, they're kick-ass, badass dads, or they make a lot of money type A. Um, they're used to being able to fix stuff and, when your kid is taken from you, you you ain't fixing shit, okay? You, I don't care. You're a billionaire. You're a trillionaire. Uh, you're the best football player in the universe, the biggest rock star, the biggest porn star. You got all the money. It don't matter. You're going to go through You're going through it just like anybody else with no freaking answers and you don't I didn't I don't feel God in those times I, I've you know when I feel God <laughs> the, the feelings I feel towards God are anger because you promised me all through these scriptures especially you know you look at the book of John I'm thinking of John 14 and John 15 and I think John uh, maybe 17, all these places where Jesus emphatically said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, John 15, 7, I'm not looking up, but if you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Okay. Uh, Mark 11, uh, 20, 24, what things forever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Uh, there's just scriptures, uh, Matthew 21, 21, uh, Luke 17, uh, 5 and 6. Um, just There's dozens of places where Jesus made these promises. We think he made the promises to the entire church. Me thinks differently now. But so, you know, you've been going through your life reading 
John chapter 15, John chapter 14, you know, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I mean, that's pretty thick. If you ask... Hey guys, I appreciate you so much for <laughs> sitting through this podcast, YouTube, whichever you're tapping into from your device today. If you would be interested in helping to support Catholic for Rednecks and Conversions, then there's a little link where you can donate there um, in the on the um, thingy. <laughs> I should write these announcements out, but um. Really appreciate you coming by. Be sure to check us out on YouTube, Catholic for Rednecks, or Catholic Conversion Stories on TikTok as Trailer Park Catholic. So I just, you know, if you get anything out of this, please give us a five-star rating. Please hit the little follow thing so you'll hear from us every time we get on here, if you want to. And once again, I sure do appreciate you.